Our first scripture reading today comes from 2 Kings chapter 2. We'll read verses 1 through 18. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the company of prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took up his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. When the company of prophets who were at Jericho saw him at a distance, they declared, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. They said to him, See now, we have fifty strong men among your servants. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of the Lord has caught him up and thrown him down on some mountain or into some valley. He responded, No, do not send them. So they sent the men, 50 men, who searched for three days but did not find him. When they came back to him, he had remained at Jericho. He said to them, Did I not say to you, do not go? This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. 
And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father. For it is you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today we celebrate the Feast of the Transfiguration. It's why uh, my stole and the altar cloths and the, what we call the pyramids on the pulpit and the altar are all white. We celebrate the Transfiguration, this time where the glory of Jesus is revealed to these three disciples, to Peter and James and John, that he's brought up on the mountain, these three closest friends that he has who see him communing with Moses and Elijah. We talked last week about the overwhelming power and knowledge of God. And this week, we could talk about how Jesus is God in the flesh, so it's no surprise that he shines radiantly with the glory of God. So here Jesus is on the mountain with two giants of the faith and the three closest disciples that he has. Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt and all the way to the Jordan at the edge of the promised land. He led the people of Israel and was the agent of God's redemption as God sent the plagues and everything that allowed the people of Israel to leave the oppressive hand of Pharaoh. And Elijah, Elijah was the most important prophet in Israel in his day. During the reigns of King Ahab and King Ahaziah, that's a mouthful, there were other prophets Uh, We see them in the story, but none of them were as important as Elijah during his time. He's so important that they leave a seat open for Elijah every year at the Passover meal, hoping that he will join them. And you know some of his stories. You know the story about the very long drought where Elijah finds himself with the widow who has one one loaf's worth of bread of flour left, left to go, and she makes that that loaf of bread for Elijah, and the next day there's enough flour again. You know the story of Elijah as he has a showdown with the prophets of Baal or Baal, where he proves that Baal is a false god, that all these prophets, they they cry out louder and louder, and they bow down, and they shout out to their god Baal, and Baal doesn't do anything. But when Elijah calls out to God, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, a pillar of fire comes down and consumes not just the the sacrifice, but the whole altar and everything around it. Elijah is an agent persistently to remind people of the power of God. 
And right after that story with the showdown and the prophets of Baal, there's another very famous story where Elijah goes and finds himself under the broom tree, just exhausted from the work that God has given to him and wanting to quit. And God sends him up to the top of a mountain and he sends wind and he sends fire and he sends an earthquake. And each of these things, Elijah does not sense God's presence. But then that still small voice comes and speaks to Elijah And one of the things that that voice says is to go to specific people to give them particular messages from the Lord. And one of those people is Elisha. And what God says Elijah's message is to Elisha is that he is going to be a prophet in your place. He's going to take your place. So Elijah goes to Elisha, he finds him, and Elisha is plowing his father's field along with other people with a team of animals, and Elijah goes and he puts his mantle, he puts his cloak over Elisha's shoulders, and Elisha knows what this means, and he's prepared to leave and go with Elijah, and he says, let me go say goodbye to my parents first. So he does, and then he comes back and he slaughters his team of animals that he was using to plow the field. And he goes off with Elijah. It's really as remarkable of any of the stories that we get about Jesus' disciples leaving behind their father at the the fishing boats or anything else to follow Jesus. Except that, fitting for this story, Jesus actually tells his followers that if they need to go and say goodbye to their parents, that they should just not bother to come, that they need to come as soon as he calls. That'll be a topic for another day. So Elisha becomes Elijah's disciple. He is apprenticed to Elijah. He goes everywhere with him, following the call of God in his life. Just as the disciples did with Jesus. These three, Peter and James and John, that are there on the mountain with Jesus at the transfiguration, along with Moses and Elijah... You've got these two pillars of the faith from earlier generations of Israel. You've got Jesus, who's the fulfillment of all of the promises that have ever been made to Israel, and himself, the, the, the recapitulation of all of their leaders that were faithful beforehand and better. And in addition to those three, you have the disciples. You have Peter and James and John. And in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9 starts the second half of the Gospel. And in the second half of the Gospel, Jesus is entirely interested in and pointing towards his coming death and resurrection. He's already told the disciples about this just before the transfiguration. He asks them, who do, who do others say that I am? And they say, well, some say Elijah, and some say this, and some say that. And then he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and he says, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then as he goes on to tell them that he's going to die by crucifixion and be raised again, Peter tells Jesus to hush. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Jesus has has made the turn towards Calvary. He is preparing the disciples for his death. 
And one way that he prepares them for this right in the middle of the gospel is to take them up on the mountaintop where they can see him communing with Moses and with Elijah. And one of the things that he's doing is preparing them for the mission that must continue after he's gone. He's revealing his glory, his power, his historical import to them so that they can go down from the mountain and continue the mission. Peter doesn't know what he's saying when he says they should stay. They have to go back down the mountain. And to understand all of this, we should pay a little bit closer attention to this story from 2 Kings. God has already identified that Elisha will replace Elijah, and the author of 2 Kings tells us what's going to happen. There's no tension about what's going to happen in the story. Over and over and over again, we hear that Elijah is going to be taken away from Elisha today. That's coming. Elijah is going to get called up in a whirlwind by God and be gone. But the pyrotechnics of this story are pretty amazing. A chariot of fire and horses of fire such that Elijah gets scooped up and taken directly into heaven. He never never dies. He just gets taken directly into heaven. And all of that is very interesting, but it's not the focus that we're going to have on the story today. The Lord is about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, and this raises a question. What will everything be like without Elijah? How will, who will faithfully lead God's people and speak God's word to God's people with Elijah gone? Is Elisha really ready for that task? And Elijah, he... He knows that the end of his journey is coming too. And he knows that this is a journey that at some point he's got to make all on his own. No one can go with him to the end of everything. So he looks at Elisha, his closest apprentice, the one who will continue his work after he's gone. And he says, stay here at Gilgal. And Gilgal is right at the edge of the Jordan River where the Israelites crossed over into the promised land for the first time under Joshua's leadership after Moses died. He says, stay here, I have to go on to Bethel. And and Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they head west and they go on to Bethel. And then uh, Elijah, once they get there, the prophets ask Elisha, do you know that the Lord is going to take your mentor from you today? And he says, yes, I know. Please be quiet. And then Elijah looks at him and again he says, "Now, now I have to go to Jericho. I have to go to Jericho. And when they get to Jericho, the same thing happens. Do you? Do you know what's going to happen today? The Lord is going to take your mentor from you. Yes. Shut your mouths. And again, Elijah says, Elisha, stay here. I've got to go on to the Jordan. So they went west to Bethel and they've gone south to Jericho. And now they're going back east all the way to the Jordan. He says, stay here. I've got a journey a little farther. And Elisha says, you don't get to leave me behind. If the Lord's still living and if you're still living, I'm going to be there with you. And so they go to the Jordan and these these other 
prophets come with them and they stand at a distance and Elijah walks right up to the Jordan River and he takes off that same mantle, that same cloak that he had on and put over Elisha's shoulders before. And this time he takes it and he rolls it up and he strikes the water. And the water parts and they cross over on dry land. And as they get across to the other side of the river, and it's just the two of them, Elijah says, do you, do you have any final requests of me? What can I do before I leave you? And Elisha says, I need a double share of your spirit. Whatever it is that's made your ministry possible, I need twice as much for me to take your place. And Elijah, the mentor, says, this is a hard thing. But if you see me taken up, it will be given to you. And then we get all the pyrotechnics, the chariots of fire and the horses of fire. And Elijah sucked up in a whirlwind as, as he's taken up into heaven. And Elisha is shocked by this. He says, uh, he says teacher, teacher, the, the chariots of Israel and its horses. And as he is overwhelmed by all of it, he watches Elijah disappear. And Elijah is gone. And he tears his own clothes in grief. And he picks up that mantle that seems to be the only thing left of his teacher and his friend Elijah, and he strikes the water in what seems like anger. Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Here I am all alone with nothing but this mantle. And behold, the water is parted, and it separates to the right and to the left on either side. And Elisha walks across back into the promised land on dry land, on dry ground. Not a bit of mud or mush underneath his feet. The land is dry. And as he crosses the, the river, they, they, they recognize that something special has happened. As they come out from Jericho, as he makes his way back, they realize that the Spirit of the Lord is on him like it was on Elijah. He has Elijah's spirit. But they're not really ready to move on either. And so they, they look at him and they say, there, there are 50 strong men we can send out to every mountaintop and every valley. We can find wherever the Lord took Elijah. And Elisha says, no, don't do it. Don't send them. And they send them anyway, and they don't find him. And they come back to Jericho, and Elisha says, I told you not to do it. At the beginning of the story, it seems like Elijah doesn't want Elisha hanging around. Or he doesn't want him to have to make the full journey that he's making that is just a big circle over the course of the day. Maybe it's that it's just a little bit too hard to say goodbye to this man that he has mentored over such a period of time. And Elisha is loyal. He's loyal to Elijah, but it seems like maybe there's more going on. That when Elijah is gone, Elisha no longer even knows how to connect to God. Where is the God of Elijah if Elijah is not here? How can I connect to God without my mentor, Elijah? He feels lost. And the prophets, they don't know what to do without Elijah around. He's the best of all of them, so they need to go and find him because they have no idea what they're going to do without him. 
So we're going to look at each of these characters or groups of people in turn. Elijah and Elisha and the prophets. From Elijah, we learn that we have a responsibility not to leave the next generation behind. Even when it's time for us to go, we can't just leave them behind and strike out on our own. Even if it's easier to travel on our own, even if even if we feel like it's going to be a burden to have them go with us, even if we're just trying to care for them and say, no, you don't have to do all of this work because at the end of the day, I'm just going to be gone. Maybe even especially when we don't know where we're going, when we don't know what we're doing, when we don't know what's next, when we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but we know the end is near, maybe especially then, when it feels like it's not worth it to bring others along the way, we must bring the next generation along. But the the question about what's going to happen to Elisha after Elijah is gone is a heavy one. And Elijah doesn't get to shirk the responsibility of that. Elisha is going to come with him doesn't matter how tired Elijah is or how much he insists that Elisha should stay behind. Elisha is coming and he cannot be left behind. And Elisha, Elisha knows he needs a double helping of Elijah's spirit. And Elijah has promised if he sees him disappear, it'll be his. And that happens and Elijah is still broken down and full of sorrow and wonders where God is. Elisha doesn't know what to do without his mentor. He's lost. And all he has is this little mantle, this little piece of evidence that Elijah even existed at all, that Elijah put around his shoulders before, and now is his. And he takes it and he hits the water, just like his mentor did. And the water does the same miraculous thing, splitting the waves. The current of the river simply stops. Just like Moses led the Israelites across the dry land, just like Joshua led the people of Israel across the dry land through the Jordan, just like Elijah did a few moments before, now Elisha has performed the same miracle, and he walks across that same dry land. This miracle situates Elisha along with the other pillars of the faith. The double portion of Elijah's spirit has been given to him to do even more good than Elijah did. But when he gets back to Jericho, the prophets don't see it that way. They feel like they need to go and look for Elijah. Where could he have gone? What will we do without him? How are we going to do any of our prophecy without Elijah? They miss the transition that's happened right before their eyes. They've been so focused on Elijah's departure that they miss what it means for Elisha to have Elijah's spirit. And passing the mantle through this story becomes one of the many euphemisms for what it means for someone new to take over the responsibility of someone who went before We say things like they've got really big shoes to fill or they're passing the torch or any number of other things, but Elisha gets Elijah's mantle. 
which he never would have had if, if he had followed Elijah's instructions to stay in Gilgal. We can't keep Elijah. We can't hold on to him, even if he's one of the greatest leaders Israel has ever known. But we can look to Elisha and anticipate what God is going to do through him. And later through John the Baptist, and most significantly through Jesus. And after that, through the apostles, whom Jesus says will do greater things even than he has done. Because God's work doesn't stop when one person is gone. In fact, part of the way that it continues best is when we refuse to leave others behind. We've got to bring them along on the journey with us, even if it means that we go a little slower. Even if it means that there are a few more frustrations, even if they don't always deserve it, we can't just leave them behind. And if you're one of the people God is calling up in the next generation, sometimes you've got to press through. Even when the established leaders say, no, 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 you stay behind here. We don't need you for this trip. Because God has put a calling on you too. That you must keep pressing and not quit and continue on. As the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And if you're some of the other ones that have been following after Elijah, you can't keep searching for him because there is new work to do with new leadership. One of my favorite sports stories is that after Larry Bird retired and Rick Pitino was the coach of the Celtics, everyone was frustrated that they weren't as good as they had been back in their heyday. And in a press conference, frustrated, finally Rick Pitino said, Larry Bird is not walking back through that door. Larry Bird's not coming back. Elijah isn't walking back through that door. The leaders that made things happen 20 years ago, they're not walking back through the door. So it's time for us to step up and lead into the future. And this isn't just an abstract concept, concept for the church. This is an identity that I firmly believe God is calling War Memorial to embrace. We have so many members who have faithfully followed God's call for years, for decades, together. And we have depended on you and continue to depend on you for so much. And we know that we wouldn't be who we are without you. But there's a temptation after a while if we've been on the journey for long enough to slip off into retirement, to leave the ones that we're responsible for bringing up, that we've been responsible for caring for behind in Gilgal or in Bethel or in Jericho, for any number of reasons, we might feel like we need to leave them behind. The journey is too hard anyway, and they just slow us down. Or maybe it's too hard to say goodbye. It could be a lot of things. But we can't leave them behind. And in the next generation, we need God raising up new leaders for us. Leaders who want a double helping of what the people before them have had so that they can lead now. Leaders that refuse to be left behind even if they're asked. Leaders that because of God's work in them are going to press forward. They might not always feel entirely prepared. Sometimes without the other leaders that have gone before them, they might feel entirely abandoned. 
And yet when they cry out, where is the God of Elijah? And take the mantle and strike the water, they'll find that that God is still there and ready to work through them. While all of that is happening, there are going to be some people who look around for the old leaders waiting for them to walk back through that door. But at some point, they'll get on board too. Hopefully without anyone needing to say, I told you so. You wouldn't find them on the mountains or in the valley. I firmly believe this is the work of more memorial over the next several years. To pass the mantle, to pass the torch, to prepare people to fill the shoes that will be left behind. To do what we can with more than a little dose of God's help, with a second helping, with a double dose to prepare people to fill the shoes of the people following behind. This is the way of discipleship. Following others when we can't quite figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus on our own. Training up others to do the work better than we can do it ourselves. Raising up the next generation in faith so that God's work can continue. When the new leaders come up, it might not look exactly the same as it did before. We won't always do it perfectly, but this is the task. This is the calling that God has set before us to take the prophet's place. When Jesus does leave the disciples, he leaves them with the Holy Spirit and tells them that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will do even greater things than he has done. And we should expect that. We should expect it of ourselves. And we should expect it of the people who come after us. That we will do greater things than the ones who came before us. Not because we are better, but because God's grace is at work in us. And that the people that we raise up to follow will do even greater things than we have done. If we strive together towards that, we will bear good fruit.